the Gospel of Luke. This is, um, uh, last week we looked, of course, at Mark, and Luke's a, a much longer um, book. It's uh, second to, to uh, Matthew, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So is there, is there a Gospel that's your favorite that you've come across yet? And maybe if you, if you haven't, maybe tonight Luke's will. A lot of people I talk to, John is their favorite, and Lord willing, we'll be looking at John's gospel next week. Looking forward to that too. Um, but as you, uh, as we start, uh, we said each book has a theme. So what I'll do is I'll try to remember to give the theme of the previous ones to kind of compare in your mind um, with uh, each of these gospel accounts. So when we looked at uh, Matthew's gospel, we we said that the the theme of the of Matthew's gospel, as far as Jesus was concerned, is concerned, is um, it's uh, about the king of the Jews, and he's called that, of course, at the crucifixion, and he's called that actually right after he was born when the wise men came to look for him. Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? Way back, when we started way back in Genesis earlier this year, we talked about how the main theme of the Bible, we like to think it's salvation. As far as we're concerned, it is uh, for us, but as far as God sees everything, He sees it from beginning to end. And God, the main, main theme of the Bible, according to the Lord, uh, as you study this, is a kingdom. Uh, there's a, something about a kingdom from the beginning all the way through. Adam was a king, and he was dethroned when he sinned in the garden. He was given dominion. Kings have dominion. He was given dominion over all the earth, and yet he sinned, of course. And, uh, but anyway, we talked about at different times when we got to the kings and chronicles. Uh, kingdom is a, is a key theme all through Scripture. Well, Mark, or excuse me, Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus as the king of the Jews. And we talked about how that book is written from the standpoint, viewpoint, of uh, towards Israel, towards the Jews. And we looked at that in, in Matthew's gospel. Last week we looked at Mark's gospel. Mark was written with the Romans in mind. Uh, and, and it portrays Jesus as a servant. Matthew, Jesus is king, king of the Jews specifically. Mark, Jesus is a servant, and um, it was written to the Roman world. In that day, Rome was the world government, and slavery, you know, servanthood slavery was a very common thing in their, in their um, government, whether it was right there in Rome or anywhere, because Rome was the, the power and the authority. So uh, there was a lot of that where you had, you know, um, you had the um, upper class and the, and the slaves. There wasn't a middle class then like we're blessed with in our nation. Um, that's another subject for another time. But anyway, um, they didn't have a middle class. So uh, portrays Jesus as a servant. And we saw how Mark went from, from um, event to event, and he focused on a lot of the, the physical aspects as far as Jesus serving, and about um, uh, even talked about a lot of the things Jesus went through emotionally and physically. Um, not that the others do not, but he focused specifically on those. Now Luke is kind of similar to that, except for Luke, uh, he portrays Jesus as the perfect man. Now, we know Jesus is both God and man. And it's not that Luke doesn't present him as God. He does, um, because there are places in there where he's, you know, he's referred to as my Lord and so forth. But um, he, he looks at it from the standpoint of how Jesus was the perfect man. Uh, and as God in the flesh, he was God. He was deity. He was, you know, he was God because he's the second person of the Trinity. But being human, he had a human body. And as a human... He portrays him that way as being the perfect man, uh, a sinless man, the only one that ever was except for Adam for a time, <laughs> till he fell, right? Adam and Eve both, till they fell. His audience is to the Greeks. The Greek culture was a culture of the day. Rome was a world power, 
but the the Greeks they were those they they kind of um, they kind of uh, were the 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 setters of a, of the all the culture. Um, a few hundred years before Jesus was born, uh, when the Greeks come in power, you had the uh, philosophers, Plato, and some of those that were the philosophers, and so Greek thought. Even in Israel, Greek thought was, was still seen in places. And so he, he, uh, the, the viewpoint he gives of Jesus is toward the, the audience being those who are Greek. And so, uh, again, they were the, the culture of the day. 24 chapters. And so Matthew, we talked about two books ago. Matthew, he recorded his events pretty early, about 37 A.D. And Luke writes his about 58 to 60 A.D. And uh, we're going to see a tie-in with this in just a moment um, with, with uh, the book of Acts. But he writes uh, Luke about 58 to 60 A.D. Now, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks when we get to the book of Acts, Luke wrote that. We'll actually tie Luke, uh, some of his gospel, back into there. So we, won't, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves other than saying that he did write the gospel uh, of Luke and the book of Acts. And we'll actually look at some references about that in a moment. So he wrote about 58 to 60 A.D. is on the timeline for that. Here's a very simple outline, just a four-part outline of uh, the Gospel of Luke. And we leave out the first four verses, and you'll see in just a moment, it's an introduction. That's why it's not found in here. In chapter uh, 1, verse 5, uh, yeah, chapter 1, verse 5 to 4.13, we see the early years of Jesus. We see uh, his early, um, we see where uh, his, his birth, and then we see the only Gospel accounts we'll see in a moment that records anything about his childhood. And then um, when he's about 12 years old, or 12, when he is 12 years old. And then it goes on into the early years where he, um, as he grows up, and he's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And then his ministry begins. That's the second major, or second uh, point in the, in the simple outline. And that's from chapter 4, verse 14 to 9, verse 50 of his ministry in Galilee. He grew up around Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in a region there, Galilee. And uh, his ministry began there. Um, growing up in, uh, his, uh, with, um, with, with Joseph and Mary for however long Joseph lived. We talked about that a little bit last week, actually. Uh, however long he lived, uh, he, he grew up learning the trade of a carpenter from his dad. And so his ministry began in Galilee. And then... Um, the chapter 9, verse 51, to chapter 19, verse 27, the longest section in, in Luke's gospel, is reco- it records uh, in, you know, right at 10 chapters, his journey to Jerusalem after he leaves from Galilee. He's on his way to Jerusalem, performs miracles, teaches uh, parables, and, and um, he's on his way to Jerusalem, which is ultimately, he knows, is going to be the cross. And then chapter 19, verse 28, through the end of the book, 2453, is what we call Passion Week. That begins with the um, uh, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before crucifixion. And then it goes through um, the week. Uh, and then as he's uh, with, with Passover, he's crucified, is buried and rises again the third day. And then he closes, Luke closes with um, something we looked at last week at Mark, actually. And we'll tie it back in when we look at Acts where Jesus ascends and gives them the final things he wants them to know before he ascends to heaven. So that's just a simple four-part outline uh, that kind of basically, um, other than those first four verses, like I say, pretty, pretty much uh, it goes in an order there with Luke, and that's the way he writes. Um, chapter 1, let's go there. We're not going to, of course, as we, as we don't do, we don't read every verse of every chapter. There's no way you can. 
but I would like to read the first four verses of Luke and just to talk a little bit about him. Luke was not an apostle. He was one of the few that wrote um, that was not an apostle as far as the New Testament goes. Um, we know later, Paul, after he got saved, he was called to be an apostle, as he says, born out of due time. And then, of course, he wrote you know, a good bit of the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament. Uh, but Luke is one um, that is not an apostle. Uh, Mark wasn't, wasn't either. But Luke says, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read through verse 4. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order. Now notice the way he words things here. Um, he's very specific about things, not that the others weren't, but he, he does it for a purpose. When we get to the end of verse 4, I'll, I'll explain that. In order, a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So Luke, though he was not a, an apostle, uh, Luke was an eyewitness of Jesus at some point. And again, we, we talked about, you know, when, when he wrote, um, was a little bit later, but he apparently was an eyewitness to some of the things. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee, he uses the, those two words again, in order, most excellent Theophilus. Now, Theophilus was a man we don't know much about, but apparently uh, a personal copy of the Gospel of Luke he wrote and sent to this, this man. It could be a man that he led to Christ. We really don't know. Theophilus is a Greek name, and so we're really not sure a whole lot about this man, but he is referred to when, when Luke writes Acts, and we'll get to that in two weeks. Verse 4. Well, actually, we'll read a little tonight, but we'll talk about it more in two weeks. Verse 4. That thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Luke writes like a teacher, and Luke was actually a physician. Um, he was a medical doctor, and he traveled with Paul on most of his journeys in the book of Acts. When we get to Acts, we'll talk about that some. And so he traveled with Paul a good bit. And Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, he writes the last letter before, not long before he's martyred, and he writes to Timothy. And as he writes to him, he tells him, come before winter, Timothy. It's getting cold. Bring the cloak, bring my coat with me. Bring me the books and the, and the, the copies of the Scripture. And he said, only Luke is with me. Faithful Luke. Luke was faithful. He was a faithful friend of Paul. Uh, but he was a physician. He was a medical doctor. So Matthew, I don't know if I mentioned this when we studied Matthew. When you look at Matthew, Matthew, his other name was Levi. What did he do before Jesus called him? What was his profession? He was a tax collector, right? He writes more in his gospel and records more about the things Jesus said about money or things dealing with money than the other uh, three gospel writers. He talks about the valuable items that the wise men brought. Um, and a lot of things he talks about has to, he records more Jesus parables that have to do with money than the others do. Um, now Luke writes from a physician standpoint and um, Mark, write, when he writes to, as a servant, he talked about some physical things, but there are things Luke describes uh, in fact, I might not have put in the notes, I'll, I'll try to remember to come to it, that Luke describes that are from a medical doctor's standpoint. So just really neat how the Lord worked through these different guys and with their personalities, yet what he wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just really neat how he worked through each author. And so uh, as we do the introduction there, I don't want to get behind, but we're going to go on the scenic route real quick. Go to uh, Acts 1. 
And we'll see how this ties in. I won't comment a lot on this right now. We'll, we'll do this when we get to Luke, or excuse me, to Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise have I made. That's a writing. That's a writing that has, you know, a purpose. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And so um, he's referring back to Luke. And what he's saying is, my first book I wrote, the gospel I wrote, had to do with Jesus, his life, the things he taught, the things he did. But the book of Acts, as we'll see, is um, the real title of it, the full title, I should say. We call it the book of Acts, but it's the Acts of the Apostles. So in the, the book of Acts, he records the things that the apostles do in their ministry after Jesus had gone back to heaven. But whoever this gentleman was, Theophilus, apparently was a, a good friend of Luke, and he got his own personal copy, apparently, of both those books. So that's, that's kind of a special thing, uh, especially when you didn't have mass publishing, as we do now. <clears throat> so let's look a little bit more of a breakdown um, of, the, uh, of the book. And we won't look real detailed to everything, but there's several highlights we want to take, take note of. We looked at the introduction. In chapter 1, verse 5 to 25, there's an angel that visits John the Baptist's dad. And as you remember, um, he, um, he was not able to speak. His dad was not able to speak for a while, Zechariah. And then um, when they were asked what was his name going to be, nobody in their, in their family had had the name John. So um, he said his name's going to be John. He wrote it down. And then right after that, remember, he began to, he began to talk. And so um, John had, he wasn't miraculous in the sense of what Jesus was, but he was miraculous in the sense of what God was going to call him to do, even from the womb, even from before he was born. And he was a cousin to, uh, or his mother and Mary were cousins, so he was like a second, I guess you say second or third cousin to Jesus. So I'd uh, be third cousin probably. But anyway, um, angel visits John the Baptist's dad. And then in the same chapter, uh, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells Mary uh, what's, what's about to happen. And uh, look at verse, um, a very, very familiar passage. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, of the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So he's born in Bethlehem in chapter 2, but Nazareth is where Mary was from. And when he grew up, remember, he went back to Nazareth, to Galilee, as we said a while ago. All right, verse uh, 28. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. And notice what it says. Blessed art thou among women. It doesn't say above women. That's misquoted by the Roman Catholic Church. It's blessed art thou among women, not above women. So anyway, she is given a very special prominent place. Now, you know, the Catholics hold her up too high. But sometimes we as uh, Baptists and even, you know, some of the Protestants today, I don't think we really give Mary some of the credit she deserves. Um, she wasn't sinless by any means. Um, and some of the Roman Catholic doctrine about her is obviously wrong. But she was the mother of our Savior. And she was obviously a woman of great virtue, and the Holy Spirit saw that. The Lord saw that in her. So she should be certainly honored, not worshipped, but honored. So, um, you know, you can go to one extreme or the other, and you want to be careful about that. So anyway, she was, uh, of course, the, uh, the mother of our Savior. And then John the Baptist is born, and you see uh, chapter, 30, uh, one, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 39 to 80 records his birth uh, as John the Baptist is born about six months before Jesus was born. He was born. So, um, and there's the, um, well, we'll come back actually to a couple of verses about this at the end of our study today, tonight. Chapter 2 gives the birth and the early years of Jesus. 
Um, it talks about, uh, it's the, the famous, what we call the Christmas story, and it's where uh, it speaks of the shepherds and the, uh, um, those, uh, the shepherds as they come to, to see, and the angels visit them. Um, very familiar passage, and you hear it every year at Christmas, and you, know, you probably can start quoting some of it when someone starts reading it uh, about his birth. And then it goes into the early days of his uh, birth where he's, uh, the eight days were accomplished, verse 21, where he's circumcised and his name was called Jesus. Just as the angel told Mary, his name would be called that very thing, It'd be, uh, that very name be called Jesus. We're going to go on the scenic route again. Chapter 2, verse 40 to 52 gives us the only account of the childhood of Jesus. And it does from the time uh, he's young, just in mention, but yet it mentions it does give us his age on this event. Chapter 2, verse 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So at this point, Joseph is still alive. We don't know what happened to him when or whatever uh, later on in Jesus um, after his childhood or whatever. But at this point, he's still alive. And they went to the um, uh, feast as they to the feast of the Passover as they, they always did. And it says in verse 42, he was 12 years old and they went up to Jerusalem. And this time was different from any of the others because this is the time they find him. They're looking for him. They can't find him. They rode in caravans in those days because... Uh, probably a lot of them were related, and they'd ride together with family when they'd come in for, for feasts, especially the Passover. You see, in, um, after Jesus grew up, you see you know, references to the Passover and a lot of people being in town. And then even in the book of Acts when it talks about Passover. So people come in, they'd come in together. They'd travel together. A lot of, a lot of times it was because they were relatives, and they'd come in from, say, Galilee or wherever, but not only that, they had to travel together for safety. You go through some dangerous spots, and you know there are those that are uh, less desirous of your welfare <laughs> and that, that, uh, that they would find around, and so they would travel together and sa for safety also. So what happened is basically, uh, from what we can see here, Jesus apparently, they thought, well, he's somewhere in our caravan of travelers with his cousins or somebody talking. Maybe he's back talking with John the Baptist. Well, not John the Baptist yet. Talking with John uh, or some of his other family or somebody like that. Maybe So they looked all over. They couldn't find him. Then they end up going back and they find him in the temple talking with those who knew the law. And he said, you know, didn't you realize I have to be about my father's business? And so that point might have been where Joseph and Mary really hit them on who he was and why he was why he came. Um, it probably really sunk in there. but So it tells us there um, that the, those sitting around were, were astonished at his answers, verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Luke, coming from the standpoint of the perfect man, he talks about how Jesus increased and grew spiritually, emotionally, wisdom, and, and then stature, uh, physically, and then in favor with God and man, you know, again, spiritually. So um, Luke puts that emphasis as a doctor on Jesus being the perfect man. And it talks about how he, how he grew he grew up. So that's the only account we have of his uh, childhood. The only other time is in Matthew 2, but that's when he's very, very young there. So when the wise men come. Then in chapter 3, verse 1 to 20, there's a ministry of John the Baptist where it begins. And he begins preaching, telling Israel... Uh, that, you know, the Messiah is here. You need to show that you're ready and come down to these waters and get baptized uh, and be prepared because your Messiah is here. 
And so many of them did, not all of them, but many of them did. And we looked at that a little bit last week. We talked about that in uh, the Gospel of Mark a little bit, I believe, and maybe in Matthew too, uh, Matthew also. But anyway, so this is where his ministry um, began, and then Jesus is baptized. Look at verse 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. So there's Jesus, and, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape. There's the Holy Spirit like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which is obviously God the Father. Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. So you have the Trinity in those two verses together. Jesus there on earth in a bodily form, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And then, of course, um, God the Father saying, I'm, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So 323 gives us the age when his ministry began. Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. So he was 29 turning 30 about that time, or about to turn 30. And then being as it was supposed, the son of Joseph. And it was supposed because as far as the records go, Joseph was his father in the sense of um, legally, but we know that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, so Joseph was not his, his uh, physical father. Um, but he's listed there as, as his father. And it traces um, his, his lineage back to... Um, um, it also, well, Mary, this is part of her lineage too, but um, it, it lists there all the way back to Adam. Um, gives a genealogy there from 323. Um, it lists starting with, with uh, Joseph going back and gives his, his father's name and his grandfather's name all the way back. And uh, when you go through this, now, if you, if you look at this and go study all of these, there are those who object and say, well, there, there are uh, contradictions, there's errors in the Bible because, you know, some names were missed. But sometimes that happens, and sometimes the names were left out because, uh, especially among the kings, some of their names got left out because uh, some of the kings were, you know, very wicked or whatever, and they had reasons why their, their names weren't there. But in this list... He's traced all the way back to Adam. Look at verse, um, pick up at verse 30, well, look at verse 38. Which was the son of Enos, or, or, or Enoch, which was, was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam. Now notice, he comes through that lineage. Uh, Cain, of course, was, he was cursed after killing his brother Abel. Abel apparently, you know, uh, he might have had children, but there weren't any of them that were the, the line of Jesus. Seth is the one that was the line of Jesus. Remember, Seth was born after Cain had killed Abel. But it says, which was the son of Adam. Look at this phrase, which was the son of God. So just as a side note, I didn't put it on here, but a son of God is someone who's created perfect in their original creation. Adam was perfect. He was sinless until he sinned. But he's called a son of God because he was created that way. The angels uh, in the book of Job, uh, well, in, in Genesis also, but in the book of Job chapter 1, angels are called sons of God because they were created perfect in the way they were created. Jesus is also, we see in this book and in, in the other Gospels, he's called the son of God. Why? Because he was perfect and he never sinned. Here's the thing. The Bible says when you and I are saved, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. Why? Because when we're saved, we have a new nature in us that's absolutely perfect, that never sins, that cannot sin. And so God sees you positionally 
as a son. Isn't that an awesome thought? Even though we're still sinners, even though we still sin, because we are God's child. In John chapter 1, John says, and, um, But as many as received him, them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. So um, that's, that's just a side note there, but it refers to Adam as a son of God and Jesus, again, Luke's viewpoint, as the perfect man, right? So he's a son of God and he never sinned. He's perfect from the time he was, well, always been perfect, but as far as his human life, from the time he was conceived all the way through, is always perfect. So just a neat little side note on that. Oh, scenic route again. So Matthew and Luke include a genealogy. Matthew writes about Jesus as king. A king needs a genealogy. should have one. Mark writes about him as a servant. A servant doesn't need a genealogy, and it was not included there. Luke records him as being the perfect man, and a perfect man should have one to prove it. And so sure enough. It goes and it takes and goes from Joseph, uh, takes the line all the way back to Adam to show that he's a perfect man. God just puts his word together. Isn't it amazing the way he puts that together? It's just an awesome thing. Um, then you get to chapter 4 where you see both testing and rejection. In chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, he's tempted by our enemy. The Bible says that in chapter 4, verse 1 down through about verse 13, uh, that uh, Satan comes and tempts him three times. Uh, turn the stones into bread, jump off of the, the temple, and you know, the Lord will send his angels. So he's, he has these three temptations that he gives him. Jesus answers every time with Scripture. Matthew records the same thing. Mark only gives two verses to it for whatever reason. Mark only gives two verses to the temptation of Jesus. And it says, uh, it, in these temptations they end, look at verse um, 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So uh, we don't know when and how often, but maybe all during Jesus' ministry, there may have been different times where the devil tempted him. It's not in Scripture, but we do know when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Satan's very real there. His power is very real there in temptation. So he's uh, tempted by the enemy. And then chapter 4, verse 14 to the end, verse 44, he's rejected even in his hometown. Um, remember <clears throat> this section, he's in Galilee still. He hasn't gotten to Jerusalem yet. All right? Up, oh, scenic route again. Um, here, here we go. We'll take a few minutes for this. This is neat. I think we've seen this. I think we looked at this when we studied Isaiah, but you may have, may have forgotten. It's a good reminder. Go to chapter 4, verse 16, and then if you'll um, mark that um, with, your, with a ribbon or something, hand, bullets and something, and go uh, to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. This is really neat. If you watch um, The Chosen... Um, one of the episodes might have been the first season um, or early second season. Uh, this, this, they show this happening in that, in that episode. Chapter 4, pick up at verse 16 of Luke. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Of course, we said he's, he's in Galilee area. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. But there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, so that's Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now we're going to go back there in just a moment to chapter 61. But look what he says, verse 18, and we'll look down to verse um, 20. Uh, or excuse me, down to verse 21. Starting at verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book after he said that phrase and gave it again to the minister and sat down. The eyes of all them were in the synagogue were fastened on him and began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And um, uh, there he had closed the book there. So they, they, they saw him and they start saying, wait a minute, this is Joseph's son. Go back to Isaiah 61. They saw where he ended, where he talked about the accept, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Chapter 61 of Isaiah, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's almost word for word here. Uh, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. That is, uh, uh, the gospel means good news or good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You probably have a comma in your Bible. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. He stopped there after he said the priest acceptable year of the Lord. Why is that? Because there's a gap of time of 2,000 years from the acceptable year of the Lord to the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He ended that verse with his first coming. That comma represents a 2,000-year gap. Isn't that something? It's just amazing the way scriptures put it together. And he stopped reading there to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops there. And so Luke, um, a lot of the critics say, well, Luke never talks about how Jesus claims to be God. Well, when you read those verses right there, and he's saying this scripture is fulfilling your ears. I mean, it may be a roundabout way, but these people knew the Old Testament. And they put two and two together. That's why they said, wait a minute, this is Joseph's son. Is he claiming to be what we think he is? And if you saw that, I think they did a good job of that with, on, the, uh, on the chosen with that episode, if you saw that. But anyway, here he claims that. As he says that, he claimed to be God. The year of the Lord mentioned in 419 um, is found there. We use the phrase A.D., Anno Domini, is what that is. It's Latin, and it means the year of the Lord. Uh, we use that, but it says there, year of the Lord there, or the year of our Lord. Nowadays, if you'll notice in, in rewriting history in the last 20 to 30 years, you see that CE, uh, common era. They don't want to call it AD. They don't want to call it Anno Domini, year of the Lord. They want to call it CE to leave the Jesus part out. And then anything before uh, the birth of Jesus, they call it BCE, before the common era. And, you know, they do that just to get around saying year of our Lord. They don't, you know, they don't want to admit that. Anyway, just a little side note. Chapters 5 through 9 is, uh, continues his ministry in Galilee where he heals. We'll come back and look at some of that, I think, in just a moment. I believe I have a couple of places where he heals and, uh, and, and does some healing there in Galilee. But it's interesting because most of the parables are in Jerusalem when he gets to Jerus uh, on his way to Jerusalem. So chapters 10 to 18, he ministers on his way to Jerusalem as, he, as he's uh, heading there. And uh, as he's heading there, he does... Uh, uh, gives some parables, and then he also, of course, um, uh, does some healing on his way to Jerusalem. Luke is the only one to record these things. So these are going to be some of the highlights. We, we try to hit some highlights in each book, and he's the only one that records these, these things. Um, if you remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles um, in chapter 10 of Matthew, and they go out to heal and so forth. Well, there are 70 that are sent out to minister in chapter 10, verse 1 to 20. Um, in, in the Gospel of Luke, they're sent out to serve and to minister. And so um, 
It says there in, uh, let's see, he talks about the harvest being plentiful. And then, let's see. Well, pick up verse 1. That's fine. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. So basically, they were going to kind of lead the way to prepare the way. You know, they didn't have television. They didn't have newspapers and so forth then and Internet or anything. So he goes ahead, they go ahead of him to let them know Jesus is on his way. And that's when he tells them, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, verse 3. And uh, whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. Um, because if they're going to receive you, then hopefully they'll hear me whenever I come later. So he sends those those seventy out, and uh, they actually do um, uh, they they um, do his will. And actually, uh, some of them heal they heal the sick and so forth in that in that passage. And then um, Jesus is is later going to come through uh, on his way. Chapter ten, verse thirty to thirty seven. Uh, he's the only one that gives, a, or Luke's the only one that records a parable of the Good Samaritan, of um, the, the man that was, um, uh, you know, was, was beaten of thieves and stripped of his clothes and all that. And the Good Samaritan comes and takes him to that inn. And he says, you know, I'll foot the bill. You take care of him. When I come back, I'll take care of all of it. You just take care of him. He pours the oil and wine in his wounds and heals him. And so um, uh, that's, Luke is the only one that records that. Mary and Martha are found in the other Gospels, but this is the only place where it mentions the place where Jesus uh, you know, comes to their house. Apparently they and their brother Lazarus, they were all good friends of Jesus. And he comes to their house, and that's when, remember, Mary was and Martha, one was serving, one was uh, sitting at Jesus' feet. And uh, so um, that, that's the only place that's recorded. The parable of the rich fool in chapter 12, the only place that records that is Luke. And um, that's found in chapter 12, verse 13 to 21 of the one that says, I'm going to build bigger barns. And, and then the Lord says to him, thou fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. And um, that's found there. Um, chapter 15, Luke is the only one that records a prodigal son. In fact, the, um, there are a couple of other uh, parables right before that in chapter 15. Uh, where about the lost coin where the, the woman loses the coin and she searches throughout her whole house to find it. Uh, and the lost sheep. Uh, is in chapter 15. Luke's only records these, but the parable of the prodigal son and the prodigal brother, I should have put prodigal brother, um, they, uh, that's recorded there, Luke's only one. Rich man and Lazarus in chapter 16. Now this is not a parable. Um, there are a lot of study Bibles that you'll look and it'll mention it being a parable. There's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of commentaries and stuff. It is not a parable. It was something that actually happened because uh, Lazarus is given it. Now understand, Lazarus is not the Lazarus Jesus later rises from, raises from the dead. Lazarus was obviously a common name like, you know, James in that day or Matthew or Levi or whatever. So There's evidently a name. That, so that's not the same Lazarus. But nevertheless, he's named and that's not a parable. That's, that's something that happened. And only Luke records that. The cleansing of the ten lepers where Jesus, um, he's coming through the way, and ten of them are clean, cleansed. And remember, only one comes back to thank him out of the rest of them. Jesus says, weren't there ten cleansed? Where are the nine? You know, um, and so uh, only one thanks him. And then the Pharisee and the tax collector, um, where the man says, um, the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this publican, and, and I, I tithe and I fast and all these things, you know. And then all that uh, tax collector could say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, um, you know, he was a tax collector, just like Levi or Matthew was a tax collector. So um, he just said, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he knew that he was lost where the 
a Pharisee, well, he was kind of counting on his own righteousness, and, and um, the tax collector knew he was a sinner. Then chapter 19 to 21 is the ministry in Jericho and Jerusalem. He's heading towards a cross, basically. So he's in Jericho making his way into Jerusalem. And uh, again, that, that section is uh, the longest you know, part in the uh, long, or second longest, excuse me, Galilee's the longest part. And then this section is uh, 19. Here we stop at 21, but it goes all the way, of course, to 24. So he's ministering in Jericho and Jerusalem, and he curses a fig tree at one place. And um, in chapter 20, well, let me back that up. His only gospel record, Jesus and Zacchaeus. Also, I, I missed that somehow uh, earlier when we were looking at the other stuff. So anyway, he records that where Jesus talks to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus is the wee little man that goes up the tree. I preached on that, in fact, a couple of months back. You get to chapter 21. Um, this is the chapter about the tribulation. Matthew in chapter 24. We looked at that a little bit when we studied Matthew the other week. And Mark in chapter 13. Those are parallel passages. That is, just about the exact same thing is said with a few changes in details, like you would figure because each of them writes from a different perspective. And so it's um, anytime you study Matthew 24, uh, Mark 13, and Luke 21 are the other chapters that go along with that. And Matthew 24 is the one most people probably study about the tribulation, but those chapters also record the same things. Matthew's is longer uh, in the things he talks about, but nevertheless, um, Luke, Mark and Luke talk about them too. So scenic route. 2124 of Luke, when he's talking about, oops, talking about the tribulation, get over here to it. Um, he says pretty much a lot of the same things that Matthew says and that Mark says. Um, let's see, 21. Uh, I was in 22. And he talks about how uh, there'll be great tribulation, there'll be persecution, verse 12, um, verse 21. Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains when the tribulation, when the Antichrist comes after them. Uh, woe unto you that with child, verse 20, okay, verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword because the Antichrist and his forces will be coming through Jerusalem and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles, this phrase here, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles goes back to Daniel chapter, um, actually chapter 2 and also in a, another place in Daniel, but chapter 2. When Daniel writes chapter 2 about, the, remember, the, remember the statue and those four kingdoms? You had, uh, had uh, Babylon and then Greece and, uh, or excuse me, Babylon, Medo-Persia, then Greece and Rome. Um, those describe the kingdoms of the Gentiles. In about 606 B.C., when Daniel and the others were taken into captivity to Babylon, when Judah went into captivity, remember there were no more kings, officially, uh, kings after a certain point. We talked about that when we studied the Old Testament. So under Nebuchadnezzar, when Judah went into captivity to Babylon, it began what's called the times of the Gentiles. And that goes until the end of the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, when Jesus comes back the second time, the times of the Gentiles will end. So that little phrase that, that, uh, that the Lord mentions there in the Gospel of Luke covers all that period of time from the Babylonian captivity to the end of the tribulation. That's why it's called the times of the Gentiles because the Gentiles are in power over Israel from that time on 
um, in one way or the other. They, they were empowering them. So anyway, chapter 22 and 23, of course, is the betrayal. Um, in the, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and then the betrayal by Judas and uh, selling you 30 pieces of silver and then his trial uh, before uh, Pontius Pilate. And then, uh, of course, he's crucified in chapter 23. And then in chapter 24, of course, is a great chapter about the resurrection and the things that, that happen after that. I love those two verses when they come to the tomb and the uh, angel says, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. And so um, the, the resurrection, of course, is at the end as it is with the other Gospels. Let's look at a few things. Chapter 1, verse 41. Luke 1, verse 41. A baby is a life uh, and is a human being inside the body. Chapter 1, verse 41, it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, this is when Mary visited her, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. The babe leaped. It was alive. So this, uh, my body, my choice, no, it's another body. It's not just your body. Uh, you made your choice. This baby is a, is a body. It's a living being. And so um, uh, that and other scriptures, of course, prove that. Um, chapter 2, verse 7, we actually looked at this a little bit last week in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, remember when Luke writes this, these events have already happened and he's recording them. So there are times when you read something, it's the moment, but there's times when you read something and you see this reflecting back. 2-7, she brought forth her firstborn son. Firstborn implies that there are going to be others, right? Brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And last week when we looked at Mark chapter 6, we talked about how... Uh, you know, Jesus, it names his brothers, and he has at least two sisters. Over in Luke 8, in verse number 20, uh, and it was told by a servant, which says, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. So uh, firstborn implies that there are others, and certainly there were. Joseph and Mary had children uh, after Jesus was born. And then in chapter 22, verse 36, this is interesting. This is when Jesus is betrayed, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he tells them this. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So obviously the Lord believes in self-protection, and he knows we should too. And so uh, there are times where you may have to do that. You may have to protect yourself. Um, life is that way. It's a fallen world, and sometimes circumstances call for that. And obviously, despite the fact of what a lot of the liberals say, uh, Jesus did believe in protecting yourself, as, as, as Paul did too. So anyway... Um, he, he did believe in that, and for a time, he told him, he gave him that command. And there was a time also, um, he told him not to have one. But here, he tells him to have one. Of course, there in the Garden of Gethsemane is where he's, uh, where he's betrayed, and um, they, they come after him with staves and swords, and that's when Peter, in fact, I don't think I put this in our other, go, go with me to chapter, uh, you're still in Luke. Go with me to chapter 22 there. Hmm. <laughs> it's got to be close by. Yeah, chapter 22, um, look down at verse 47. While he yet spake a multitude, um, behold, a multitude, and it was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, drew near to, unto Jesus to kiss him. Of course, he betrays him there. And then, verse 49, when they which were about him saw that would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Um, Lord didn't even answer, and he didn't have to. Because turns out when you look at the other gospel account in John 18, this is Peter. You might know Peter would do that because he's the first one to act on anything. Look at verse 50. And one of them, we find out it's Peter, 
smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And so Luke records this. He's a doctor and he records this. But he says in verse 51, Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. So Luke records that little incident, and uh, it's recorded the others, but he gives a little more detail there, and then John tells us who it is. That was Peter, by the way, who did that. All right, in Luke's Gospel, let's see Fueled Up, which is where we see Jesus in Luke's Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 31, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, which is also in 2.21. When he's born, the angels say that. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Um, In chapter 1, verse 31, he's called the Son of the Highest. Um, that's a reference to him um, about his birth. And remember, those, those are when the angel visits Mary and tells him he should be called the son of the highest. Then when he's born, chapter 2, verse 11, uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, um, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So we see these titles of our Savior here in Luke's gospel. Uh, and he's called Master. Um, in fact, back up. He's called that more than one time in, in Luke. But in uh, chapter 5 and verse 5, he's called Master. Um, And Simon, Simon Peter, answering, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So that's another another title name for Jesus. In 731, he simply called the Lord. Um, Go to that one while I'm close to it in chapter 5. Did you miss that? I did the last one on the left. Chapter 731, I'll back it up. And as you would that men should do... Nope, that's not 731. That's 631. Better get the right one. 731. Uh, and the Lord said, whereunto... And the Lord said, whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? So um, he's uh, called Lord by others, and then he's referred to in the Scripture as, as uh, Luke writes about him, says, calls, calls him Lord, says, and the Lord said. 1837, we talked about how he'd come from Nazareth, and uh, this is the, um, the night of his, um, of his betrayal and so forth. Chapter 18, verse 37. Um, no, this is right before that. I'm sorry. This is when he, he heals um, the blind man. 1837. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. I think that's where they got that course years ago. Remember, was it Oral Roberts? Something good is going to... Jesus of Nazareth is coming your way, passing your way. Anyway... Um, that's where they probably come from. But anyway, um, told him that he's passing by. And then the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, chapter 19, verse 38, a reference to Jesus. Luke, home address. These are verses to, um, that are great to, um, to memorize or to spend some time looking at. Um, when, Luke, when Luke writes, uh, and he's including Theophilus in there at the beginning, he says the certainty of those things. Luke writes about assurance, about certainty, about knowing something to be absolutely true. 2.11, of course, is a great one to memorize and hear it every year at Christmas for you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 11.28 is when his mother and brethren had come to, to see him and visit with him. And it says, uh, behold, your mother and your brothers are, are outside. They're here to visit you. And in chapter 11, in verse 28, Jesus says this. This is a great verse about fellowship with the Lord. <clears throat> it says, uh, no, I'm sorry. It says um, um, a woman of the company said, blesses, basically blesses the womb that, uh, that bare thee. Talking about you know Mary that gave him birth. He says in verse 28, But he said, Yea, rather, bless, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So um, Jesus says it's better, it's, it's more blessed those who hear God's word and keep God's word. A great verse about 
fellowship with the Lord. And then in chapter 16, 10 is a, is a parable he gives about faithfulness. He that is faithful in the least um, shall be faithful also in much. And he's an unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So a uh, few good verses to uh, read, on, read, read and to maybe memorize at some point. So stop there tonight. Took a little longer than I meant to on Luke, but we'll stop there tonight. Any questions or anything? Comments? Where, where do you need? I'll, tell me when to stop there. Okay. I'll stop there. All right. I'm looking forward to John next week. I've been looking ahead actually to John and Acts both. And um, the thing is, is if, you, if you're more familiar with the New Testament, a lot of these details you'll probably pick up a little better because when you get those minor prophets, wow, it's, it's a lot to remember because when you're looking at the kings that were reigning during the times of these prophets, it can be a lot to take in. That's my weakest part probably of, of the Bible is, is the, the minor prophets. That's probably the weakest place. Other than trying to remember all the kings, that's pretty weak too, but... Uh, um, other than that, but anyway, when you get in the New Testament, you can you can put a lot of uh, a lot of things together, a lot of details together, a little easier because you probably hear more preaching and teaching from the New Testament than anywhere else, and um, especially the Gospels about the life of Jesus. But I'm looking forward to get, you know further getting in Romans and and on on down the line as time goes by. All right, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Then dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word, uh, for the Gospel of Luke, and as with the other three, they're all so very important. Every one of them give us um, give us a viewpoint or or a uh, a viewpoint about our Savior. They all talk about the same Savior, and yet they look from a different perspective. And we are blessed with that, Lord. We're blessed to be able to see how each one records. Some of them record the very same things, all four, and then some of them just two or three, and then some of them only one, like we saw with Luke tonight. And But everything that they record we know is about our Savior. It's very important, and we get a bigger picture and a clearer picture of Him as we study, uh, study about Him, and we're grateful for what we learn. Thank you for your word, and I pray that you'll bless it as we uh, continue to learn it and grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask all these things in His name. Amen. All right, y'all be safe going home. Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday.